Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. Good morning. Good morning. My name's Steph. For those of you that are new, I'm one of the pastors here. And um, we are going to be um, diving straight into our uh, current series, which is the I Am Sayings of Jesus. And uh, we're going to be reading from John 10 in just a moment. Um, and to just give you a sense of, if you've not been here for the past few weeks, like, you know, what, what we're getting at with this, I don't know if you remember about three weeks ago, we looked at Moses when he met God, or God met Moses in the burning bush, and he declared himself to be, I am who I am, or I am that I am. That, that, that uh, tetragrammaton is the theological term for what is known in some circles as the forbidden name of God. Some devout Jews still won't even mention the name. Um, which is translated, I am who I am, I will be who I will be, uh, more commonly referred to as Yahweh or Jehovah. Um, And then what you find through the ministry of Jesus is that numbers of times he will say, I am, and then um, normally something will come after that. And really, um, theologians are agreed that in doing this, Jesus is not just saying certain spiritual things about himself. He's identifying himself with Yahweh. He's saying, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God of of Moses. I'm not just um, some kind of small g God. I'm not some sort of angel that has come. I am the eternal Son of God who has been with the Father and the Spirit without beginning and without end. Amen? Okay, so we're looking at these I am sayings of Jesus and different things they tell us about the nature of God, the nature of Christ. So uh, let's read uh, together John chapter 1. We're going to read the first 10 verses. They should come up. On, there we go. They're up on the screen. Um, so Jesus, he's just, he's just healed the blind man in John chapter 9, the man born blind. And so it seems like he's talking to who's he addressing in what we're about to read. Well, it's probably a mixture of his disciples and some of the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were a group of religious leaders in Jesus' day that were very strict. Um, But Jesus frequently um, speaks very harshly to them because even though they were really strict and, and, and conservative in terms of wanting to maintain God's ways, actually, personally, they were often hypocrites. And didn't live up to what they asked other people to do. And really Jesus described them in no uncertain terms as whitewashed tombs. And other, other things, you know, you look great from the outside, but inside is death. And so it's, there's probably there's a mixture in the crowd here of just normal, kind of everyday folk, some disciples, some religious leaders. So that will give us hopefully a bit of context. So the first 10 verses of John chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you. He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they don't know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. 
The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you so much for these extraordinary words. Jesus, you said about your words that they are spirit and life. And we want to say today, Lord, we, we, we believe you. We trust that, Lord. And we want to pray these words that our spirit and life will be freshly uh, applied into our own hearts. I want to pray for all those who are listening today. Lord, let them know that you're speaking to them. There may be some here, Lord, who have never, could never hand on heart know that there even is a God, a God that would speak to them. I want to pray today they would know God has spoken to them. I want to ask you to do that, Lord, by your spirit. So that when they put their faith in you, it's not based on human persuasion, but it's based on the fact that God has powerfully spoken into their heart. Pray for those who know you and have heard you many times. We just pray freshly speak. Bring comfort, bring direction, bring strength. If it's needed, bring correction. All so that we might glorify you more and be more fruitful, we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, I must be honest about this I am. I've always found this I am a bit odd. It's going to be really honest with you. I am the gate or I am the door. I've always found it a bit old. Because it's set in the wider context of a passage which really spends most of the time talking about another I am, which is I am the good shepherd. And all the build-up to it is taking you to, I am the good shepherd. And so then when suddenly Jesus says, I am the door, it can feel like a little bit of a letdown. What would you rather follow, a shepherd or a door? (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? It's a strange image. It's not as human as a shepherd. It doesn't feel as spiritually meaningful as the bread of life or the light of the world. It's not as poetic as the way, the truth and the life. I'm the door. I'm the gate. Oh, okay. And sometimes, you know, when you come across these things, you can just skate over it. Let's get on to the shepherd bit. But Jesus said this for a reason. It is a jolt. It doesn't really go with the flow, actually, of what, if you read it, it's a a bit out of the blue. But he obviously had good purpose uh, for saying it. We will look at Good Shepherd. Alice is going to preach on that, God willing, in a couple of weeks' time. But there is meaning in this whole idea of being the door, the gate. We're going, to, we're going to dig into that today and hopefully you'll come out. And whenever you get to John 10 in future and you read, I am the door, it, will, it won't jolt you. You won't think, move on. You'll remember some things, hopefully, from being here today. The first thing that I just want to draw your attention to, but it's assumed in the passage, is that uh, followers are likened to sheep. All right? Just want to... If you've been a Christian a while, that's so familiar. It's like, yeah, yeah, okay. No, but there's a few things, there's a few things to say about sheep. There's a few things that are uh, nice to hear uh, about being likened to a sheep. There's a few things that aren't. Okay? So the things that are nice to hear are, number one, back in this agricultural society, sheep would have been valued. There's great value to sheep. And so, you know, when Jesus, you know, talks about the shepherd looking for the one that's strayed, you know, there's this, yeah, the, the sh- a one sheep matters. There's value to one sheep. And so the fact that we are being likened to sheep, it's, 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 it, it's a positive thing, shows that the value that the Lord puts upon us. Also, there's, a, there's another parable about the sheep and the goats. And uh, in that parable, you want to be a sheep. 
Okay, that's 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 talking about the the day of judgment, the day uh, the, the, that moment of distinction, whereby we don't believe that at the end everyone will be saved. We don't believe that. There are, um, I guess you might call them churches. I don't know. They would call themselves churches who believe that. It's called universalism, and the general idea is that at the end of the day, because God is so loving, everyone will be saved. It's a it's it's a theological system called universalism that. Some people believe in, but it's very difficult, not impossible, to demonstrate um, scripturally. Okay, so there's the sheep and the goats, and in that parable, the sheep there are those who are welcomed in to everlasting life. So it's positive. So there's some things. As I'm about to um, let you into some of the harder elements of being a sheep, be encouraged as we go into this. Okay, some of the things that are slightly harder to hear is that number one, sheep often go astray. All right. Sheep have a habit of going astray. And um, the Bible says, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We go, if you're going to be a follower of the Lord, there, ha- there has to, at some point in coming to know Christ, be this acknowledgement, I've got it wrong. I've gone astray. I'm not on the right path. I've veered off the path. I've fallen short. Whatever phrase you want to use, there's this it's essential sense. Part of coming to know the Lord, the Holy Spirit moves in our life and brings a realization, I've veered off the path. In fact, maybe I was never on it. I need, I need straightening out. I've veered. So that's a, that's a thing, biblically, an important thing to be able to grapple with and just live with. Secondly, sheep need a shepherd. If any of you have ever been kind of out in, 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 in the creation, Lake District or somewhere like that, and you've seen, you've seen um, sheep left to their own devices, they just sort of wander around. It's not wrong, but it's not exactly purposeful, you know. Um, but then the shepherd will come and take them somewhere. We need a shepherd. We need a leader. We tend to just kind of fall into purposelessness without the leadership of Christ in our lives. We tend to get into things, sometimes for years, and then you go, what was that about? Anyone ever done that? Why was I so into that? I just kind of was wandering around, lost all sense of, ah, there's, something, ah, there's something going, there's some direction here, some purpose here. We, we lose that. We need a shepherd. Um, and then thirdly, uh, sort of, sheep are dumb. Yeah? There's two animals, which the, the Bible refers to in negative ways, pigs and dogs. But the reality is, they're way cleverer than sheep. <laughs> sheep are not renowned for their intellect. Pigs are very clever. My sister owns pigs. They're very, very intelligent creatures. Dogs are highly, or some of them, <laughs> highly <laughs> intelligent creatures, certain breeds. Sheep, not so. And it's not an insult, it's just that recognition that it's not cleverness that gets you into the kingdom of God. Okay, some of you are clever, some of you are highly intelligent, um, others of us not, not, not quite so. Um, but that is nothing to do with whether you get into the kingdom of God or not. It does, you, can, you, can, you, know, you can argue your way out of all kinds of um, uh, labyrinthian kind of complex ideas and at the end of it not be any more right with God than you were at the start. Okay, that's not how it works and um, we need to just recognise when you come to dealing with God... Um, in, intellect, praise God for good intellect, but it's not going to be the factor between getting right with God. 
or not. So we're, we're placed as sheep in this parable. That's the role that we play. And I wanted to just spend a little bit of time on that because if you've been a Christian a while, you get so used to it. You do, oh yeah, right, we're the sheep now, but just say some things about sheep. But um, now let's look at the things that Jesus says about the door or about him being a gate. The first thing he says here, he says, if anyone enters by me. So you've got this idea of a sheep pen. That's the idea. You've got a sheep pen. There's one legitimate way in. Okay? Thieves and robbers, Try and get in among the sheep different ways. Is the image here. There's one legitimate way into, if you're in, into the pen, if you're a sheep, and one legitimate way out, and that's the gate or the door. Jesus says, that's me. And he says, if anyone enters by me, number one, he'll be saved. He'll be saved. Now, what did Jesus mean by that? Because again, it's such familiar language, he'll be saved. Okay, yeah. It trips off the tongue. You've been a Christian more than a year, it trips off the tongue. Well, the word can be used to, be, to just literally mean rescued. It can be used in a very kind of temporal sense of just, I've been rescued, I've been delivered. That was a horrible situation. I've been pulled out of it. I've been saved. But in the Gospel of John, it means more than that. It actually means eternal life. That's what it means. So if I just show you, just to sort of demonstrate that I'm not making that up. In John chapter 3, very famous verse, John 3.16 says, God so loved the world... He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Okay, then follow it on. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So when John uses the word saved, he's talking about eternal life. So Jesus is saying, if you enter in through me, you will receive eternal life. Now again, as Christians, you go, well, yeah, we know that. That's why I became a Christian. But there may be some of you here who you don't realise that. You don't realise that actually if you enter in through Jesus, and there's something emphatic about the phraseology, when he says, I am the door, he's saying, only I am the door. In terms of the grammar there, it's an emphatic I. It's only I and the door. If you enter in through me, you will be saved. You will receive eternal life. Jesus is the entry point. Now, if you view salvation from a kind of human-centred kind of perspective, that can feel a bit unfair because you can go, surely there's, surely there's a lot of other ways. Surely, you know, surely there's, it can't be the only way because all kinds of people around there have different cultures, different traditions, different ways of thinking. To say Jesus is the only way, it just seems like, are you serious? That's if you view salvation from a human-centered way. It's a very logical way of thinking. But the Bible doesn't. The Bible views salvation from a God-centered perspective. It completely changes everything. It's not us trying to find our way to God through different kinds of philosophies, ideas, messages, belief systems. The Bible really does not, is, does not have that in mind when it's thinking about how people get saved. The idea in, in Scripture's mind is God reaching down and pulling people out. In very real situations, pulling them out of the power of sin, the power of darkness. By himself, by his very self coming in the presence of his son. It's like a totally unique message. It's, it's not just one way of many that people can think up. No, it's a revelation from above. This is how God has come. He's come to us physically in the flesh. God has come, Emmanuel, God with us. Amen? It's an extraordinary message. It really is a totally unique, totally extraordinary message. Let's not get familiar with it. Okay? So it's God centered, so he'll, you'll, he'll be saved. And then you get this phrase. This is what I really want us to focus on today. Um, 
Where are we? Um, sorry, I'm in the wrong chapter. If anyone comes in through me, he'll be saved. And then he goes on. And he says, and, uh, and we'll go in and out and find pasture. I want to talk about that. He'll go in and out and find pasture. Now, this sort of phrase, going in, coming in and going out, it's a Hebrew idiom. You'll find it through a lot of the scriptures, this idea of, my, my, God, you're going to look over my, my coming in and my going out. You find that phrase repeated. And it's really saying this. It's saying that holistically, Every kind of part of your life, whatever direction that you're going in, um, God is God. You're doing it before God, or God is overseeing you, or you're kind. You're, you know, you're kind of you're kept. You are looked after in it. That is the idea. So, just quickly, Psalm 121. Many of you will be familiar with this. It says this, talking about how God keeps us, keeps us safe. It says this. It says the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Listen to this. He, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. From this time forth and forevermore. It's that idea, that idea. Whatever you're doing, God's going to keep you. Okay? Going in, coming out. The day-to-day life. The normal things of life. That's the idea that we've got there. It's talking about total protection and total provision. That's the idea. Jesus is saying that's the idea. That's what this thing is like. So the idea within, in this pen, is the idea of safety. Jesus saying, you come in through, come in through me, I'm going to not just save you in terms of, you know, that we just talked about, but I'm going to keep you safe. I'm going to keep you safe. I'm going to keep you safe from spiritual enemies. Okay? The Bible says, because you've been born of God, the evil one can't touch you. I'm going to keep you safe. Okay? I'm not going to just let the devil run, run roughshod over your life. No, you've been pulled out of his kingdom. You're in my kingdom now. I'm going to keep you safe. I'm going to keep you safe from yourself. Anyone, anyone here know what I'm talking about? Yeah? I'm going, to, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to teach you how to. I'm going to keep you safe from yourself. How? By my spirit. I'm going to renew your mind and teach you not to believe everything you think. How many of us get in trouble by believing everything we think? You get into a narrative. You get into a storyline. Before you know it, you're in, you're in big trouble. You're as low as you like because you believe this story that's been dreamed up in your head. Jesus, I want to save you from that. Well, I'm going to pull you into true narrative, true story, real truth. And the truth will do what? Okay, so I'm going to keep you safe, Jesus says. You come in through me, there's going to be a safety for you. Not only that, in that pen, guess what? You're not the only sheep in there. I'm going to keep you safe by fellowship. I'm going to keep you safe by giving you one another. How many Christians undervalue fellowship? It's extraordinary. said it before and I'll say it again. There's something so undramatic and imperfect about fellowship that we can find ourselves thinking it's not doing much. Well, you stay out of meaningful fellowship for a month or two and look at what state you're in. Look at what state you're in. This, it's a straight, almost a strange thing, fellowship. You know, because sometimes other Christians are annoying. right? So you feel like they're making your life worse. Am I right? Thank God, doing made in here. Yeah, it's doing you good. It's like magic. <laughs> it's doing you good. It's keeping you safe. You're being kept from the world. You're being kept from the world is built on pride and lust. 
what the Bible says. It's, go, it's going, it's going mouldy. It's built on pride and lust. It's going mouldy. And if you fall in love with that, the love of the Father is not in you. you. You can't love both. James says, if you love the world, you're an adulteress. You can't love both. Okay? Don't, whatever you do, try and love both. Just choose. Just choose. Okay? Jesus, I want to keep you safe from that because it promises so much and delivers nothing. Right, I want to keep you safe from that whole system. I want to put you with other believers who love me, who are just as imperfect as you. Right, and you're going to grow together. It's going to be a beautiful thing. This is why we labour things like gospel communities and running partners. It's like scaffolding. In those settings, you build meaningful relationships with brothers and sisters week in, week out, week in, week out, week in, Week out. Boring? No. Week in, week out. Sometimes, week in, week out. Doesn't matter. I'm growing. I'm, I'm being protected. This is one of Jesus' main ways of keeping me safe. Brings me into family. Learn how to love. Learn how to serve. Learn how to forgive. Learn how to bear with. Because other people are doing the same with me. Week in, week out. Being kept safe. It's phenomenally powerful. But you neglect that which so many people do, yeah, it has a detrimental effect. You throw yourself into that, you will most likely grow exponentially. You will learn so much. You will learn so much. But if you get into the vibe of keeping people at arm's, this arm's length, you're not having the protection Jesus wants for you. Not only is it fellowship that keeps you safe, guess what? If a pen has got, it's got the gate, but it's got this fence. And guess what? They're, they're boundaries, right? They're boundaries. And the way it works is Jesus says, come. Wow. Everyone okay? That was loud. Okay. So Jesus says, come in through me. But guess what? When you come in through me, you're right. Okay. Um, you're in, right? And then there's certain things. Guess what? Certain places Jesus says, you can't go there. What do you mean? You can't? You're not allowed. What do you mean I'm not allowed? That's an, an affront to my autonomous self. She says, no, you haven't got an autonomous self. I've bought you. I've bought you your mind now. Okay, so there's these things. I'm gonna, Jesus kind of reimagined these things. So in that sense, or, or helped us understand them on a kind of, on a spiritual kind of, you know, heart level. They're written on um, Tablets of stone in the Old Testament written on our hearts now. But these, these Ten Commandments, you know, they're like a thing. They keep us safe. They keep us safe. So, you know, um, don't have any other gods before me. Why not? Because they're not real. You made it up. Right? So it can't save you, deliver you, teach you, guide you. Don't do it. It's futile. Okay? Don't make any idols. Why not? Why can't I make I, I want to make this thing and worship it? Why can't I do it? Because whatever, however you try and depict me, God says, you've completely, you've completely underrated who I am. Don't do that. Don't, don't, don't get into it. Because you, whatever you make a thing of God, he, you make him like that. No, don't do that. It's going to take you somewhere so less and lower than who he is. It's dishonoring to him. Don't get into that. Don't take his name in vain. Why not? Because what will happen is, is um, the language that you speak shapes the condition of your heart as well as comes out of the condition of your heart. So if I get used to using his name in kind of like flippant ways, guess what? My estimation of him will increasingly become decreased. I'm no longer relating to him as he is. 
dishonouring and insulting to him. It would be a bit like me overhearing people talking about me and saying what a clown I was. It would offend me. It would hurt me. I think, oh, God, this is, this is hot. Why are you doing that? God is real. God is to be honoured. He hears our conversations. So it was a big deal. Have a day of rest a week. Don't work all the time. For goodness sake, don't work all the time. Don't. It's madness. It's folly. It's gravely unwise. Don't work all the time. Rest. Stop. It's part of the fence. I want to keep you safe. Don't do that. And we've got a hundred reasons why we need to. God says, just don't do it. Because all those reasons, if we won't obey God, are built on a foundation of unbelief God won't provide. I have to do it. No, you don't. Give space for him to do extraordinary things. Then you've got some stories and your confidence in him grows. Come on. Do we believe it? Yes. Honour your parents. Honour them. It's interesting that Paul picks it up in the New Testament. It's only your parents. It's the only commandment of a promise. You'll live long in the land. There's something really profound about honouring your parents. You think, but you don't know what they're like. They're probably just like mine. Okay? Just honour them. It's not about what they're like. There's this great moment. Anyone seen Band of Brothers? So one of the most fantastic, profound moments in it is when this man who has been uh, exalted to a rank beyond a man who he used to be under, and, and they didn't get on at all, really, you know, bad, bad dynamic. He's now been exalted to a rank above him. He drives past him in a jeep, and this man won't salute him. And he stops the, the jeep, and he looks at him, and he says, you salute the rank, not the man. It's a very profound moment. They're your parents. You honor them. It's regardless of what they've done. There's an honour. There's all that other stuff underneath it, wisdom, and of course there is, and all of that if they're abusive. Yeah, I know, but there's a, there's a thing of, without them, guess what? Biology lesson 101. <laughs> I'm not here. So there's an honour. You just honour in the order of creation. Honour your parents. These things matter. Don't kill people. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't kill people. All right? Okay, it's wrong. Well, what's such a... Don't daydream about killing people. Don't do sword swipes with your mouth. Why? That's the image of God. That's the image of God. That's the main reason why. Because you've probably got 101 reasons why it's justified. It's not the point. They're the image of God. That's why we don't shed the blood of another. They're the image of God. It's the reason given in the Bible. Don't do it. Don't commit adultery. Honour the marital bond. Whether it's your marital bond or someone else's marital bond. Honour the marital bond. When a man and a woman come together in covenant for life, that is deeply sacred because it points us back to creation and it points us towards the gospel. It is packed with transcendent meaning. Don't tread over that. If you're married and your marriage is in the right old state, okay, honour the marital bond. 
there might be discussions and things need to happen. Yeah, yeah. But, but when all is said and done, it's sacred. It keeps us safe, keeps us in that there's boundaries, things we can't do. Okay? Don't steal. The Bible says stop stealing, get a job so you can share with those in need. Wonderful motivation for getting a job. So you can, so not just so you can stop stealing, so you can share with those in need. Primary reason for getting a job. Share with those in need. Primary reason. You can open your home. You can be hospitable. You can be a blessing. Okay? You can help those that are hit a tight spot. Yeah? These are, these, this is, it keeps us in. Keeping us in. Going out and coming in. Okay? Don't, don't make up stories about people. It's horrible. People make up stories about you. Bearing false witness. Don't do that. Just don't do that. Don't, don't add things on. Don't embellish things. Make people look bad. Don't do that. Yeah? I was in a conversation this week. I realized I, I did it. Okay? So I cleared up the mess afterwards. I just, when I said that, it painted this person in that light. I, didn't, I shouldn't have done that. Please forgive me. Clear it up. Clear it up. You'll know when you've done it, the Holy Spirit will show you. Clear it up. Okay, don't just leave it there. Finally, don't cover don't long for other people's lives, other people's stuff, other people's wives, other people's husbands, other people's kids, other people. Don't get into that to the point where you lose your peace. That's when you know you're coveting. All of us can look at a nice car go by and go, well, that's a nice car. You lose your peace over it, you're in sin. Okay? Boundaries, keeps us safe. Good for us. Good for us. Wonderful. Thank you, Lord. For keeping us safe. And then going out and finding pasture. Final point. Oh, okay. Right, quick time. Going out and finding pasture. Um, I'm going to say something here that might be a little bit surprising. To go out and find pasture. I think that, um, and I think prophetically as well that the Lord wants to do something today. It's really interesting that I think our minds... Going, finding pasture immediately goes to kind of like that sense of, uh, I don't know how to put it, like not doing anything for the Lord, just kind of, I don't know, uh, how can I put it, um, what am I reaching for? This sense that I'm going to stop doing stuff and, and rest and find pasture in the Lord. Okay, There are seasons where that's appropriate. I don't think, though, that's the main idea here. Jesus, when after he after he witnessed to the woman at the well, and then uh, his disciples have gone into a town to buy food, he's witnessing to the woman at the well, uh, and then she goes and tells the town all that God's done. And they come back with the food, they've got the baguettes and everything. They go, we're here. He says, "I've got food to eat. You know, you know nothing of." And they're like, "What's he talking about? You know, what's he?" He says, the, "My food is to do the will of Him who sent me." Jesus found a pasture. And eating, a delighting, a sense of fulfilment in doing the good works that God had prepared for him to do. And I think that there's something the Lord wants to do among us, a rediscovery, a vision of life, a vision of life where we honour the coming in, the fellowship, the building up and blessing and the protecting of one another, and then the going out and the doing the good works God has prepared in advance for us. To rediscover a vision for that, okay? That it's not just seen as busyness. 
But throughout the New Testament, the phrase, your, your works of faith, your labor of love, there's a manifestation of what God has done that leads to divinely ordained activity that is both fruitful and satisfying. Rather than the kind of busy, exhaustive narrative, which can lead people to the kind of um, just pulling everything in and being afraid of doing too much for the Lord. Okay? I think both of those are unhelpful. There's a, there's a serving the Lord, serving his people, serving the lost, using the spiritual gifts God has given so you're fruitful and energized doing it. Okay? But it is also sacrificial in the serving of others and that from that there is a deep satisfaction and fellowship with God as you do it. Okay? And I think, I think the Lord wants to recapture our vision of that today. That there are all of these different things we can do. We can teach the gospel. We're called to heal the sick. We're called to set captives free. We're called to feed the hungry. We're called to serve the disadvantaged. We're called, we're, we're called to use these amazing gifts God has given us. We can do that on Sundays as we gather together. We can do that as helping out with the mercy ministries, with CAP and with the food bank. We can be a blessing in our neighborhood. But it's just that sense in which you're going, I'm giving out... But, right, but something's happening here. As I'm giving out, I'm also being nourished. I'm also being fed. That's why Jesus said, I've got food to eat you know nothing of. It's like a secret meal. It's supernatural. It's transcendent. It's something that you can grow in discovery in the things of God. It's not just busyness. okay? And it's not just avoiding busyness. It's something different. The Bible says that God has saved us not by good works, but for good works. So it's our destiny. And not only that, but he's prepared good works in advance for us to do, meaning they suit who we are. Amen? Yeah? So you're not bent out of shape trying to be someone else, but you say, no, God has graced me in this. When I do this, I feel like I'm coming alive, but other people are being blessed, but it is sacrificial. Of course it is. It does. T- I'm pouring myself out. It's all of that. But because it's in God, there's something going on. I'm being replenished. So I might be physically tired afterwards and all that because you're human. You're, in a jar, you're a jar of clay. But you're going, there's something going on here. I'm being, And I just feel that for some, you've been a bit jaded in this kind of stuff. It's got into you. And you're basically in a posture of self-protection rather than a posture of faith for good works prepared in advance for you to do. And it's something you need to, I want to urge you to reflect upon. And as we come into land and uh, we're about to finish, just for those of us among us that are prophetically gifted, please just tune in to the Lord in these next few minutes. Just feel there may be some very specific words that the Lord wants to give you to to serve others. We're going to finish just by reading a couple of verses from Psalm 118. You'll see the link. It links the gate with Jesus hundreds of years before he came. And... um, a great place to land. It says this. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them. Give thanks to the Lord. Listen to this. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you. You've answered me and have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. It's a messianic psalm. It's a psalm about Jesus. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice. And be glad in it. Hallelujah. God, I genuinely hand on heart believe that God, we are in a season as a church of restoration. God is restoring us from a very difficult season. COVID, 
amplified and um, multiplied by other different factors and things that went on. I believe the Lord is doing a restorative work and that he's calling us to, um, or wants to impart to us fresh faith to believe that and to see that. And this 10-day fast that we did as a church that we finished recently, this is not just something you do so you tick the box. It's something you do to see God move. Amen? We're expecting God to move because we've sought him. There's that wonderful passage in Daniel where he fasts for those three weeks. Daniel fasts, as we call it. Same thing we did in the angel come. And he says, I've come because of your words. What a wonderful thing. I've come because of your words. We said a lot of words to God, didn't we, over those 10 days? Are we in faith that Lord is releasing angels and the power of his spirit who are going to come into our situation and say, I've come because of your words? Huh? I've come because of you. That's powerful. That's profound. So I believe the Lord wants to just encourage a few people with this. It's 